This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Today is Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. On this day in 1984, a memorial service was held for Dorothy Jane Scott. Over four years after her disappearance, Dorothy's bones were found by a construction worker near Anaheim, California. Dorothy's abduction and subsequent murder have never been solved. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. Today, we're going back to August 22, 1984, when the family of Dorothy Jane Scott was finally able to grieve their loss four years after the 32-year-old's baffling disappearance. Due to the nature of today's crime, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. It was mid-afternoon at the Church of Our Fathers in Cyprus, California. The day was hot and dry. One of those late California summer afternoons that felt one step away from overbearing. Vera Scott clenched her grandson's shoulder as they looked at the smiling likeness of her daughter, the boy's mother. She did not dare study his reaction, but she knew he was not crying. Sean could hardly understand what had happened. She didn't even understand it. They were ushered into the church with its cool, stale air. The women donned their shawls. The men unbuttoned their coats and sat down, all in one fluid motion. Vera's son, Jim, approached the microphone. Her husband, Jacob, sat next to her, straight-backed, eyes forward, stoic as he ever was. She held tightly to his hand. It was a blessing, he had said over and over in the past few weeks. Finding her bones and all, 
It was closure. They could move on, live their lives like normal people, like people who were not caught between grief and terrible bewilderment. Dorothy lives. Her son's voice cracked into the microphone. Maybe not in her body, but she lives. The sentiment was nice, but it sent chills down Vera's spine. She lives. Indeed, Dorothy had lived for Vera for the past four years, as though she were shoved down her throat with a brutal tenacity. It was the phone calls that shackled her so thoroughly, they came almost every Wednesday since her daughter disappeared, a date so thoroughly burned into her memory. May 28, 1980, the day her world turned upside down. But when the calls came, it gave her vertigo. The caller never said anything. He only asked mystifying questions and made skin-crawling confessions. Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Is Dorothy home? I've got her. She's with me. I killed her. You'll never see her again. Every Wednesday, she got the call. Every Wednesday, for four years, a man with a sullen and raspy voice violently whispered his threats, his confessions, his vile desires to the despondent mother. She took on this burden. She took it on so that police could tap the phone and trace the call. It could save her daughter, they told her. It could lead them right to her. But the voice never stayed on the phone long enough. Her head swirled with the memories as her son's voice continued to crackle through the church halls. Jim said, She spent her last hours giving and being concerned about others. But the words drifted somewhere outside herself, in the place where Dorothy was still a part of their lives. But around the previous April, things had changed. The phone call came later than usual, and Jacob was home to answer it. The phone rang with the vicious promise of the taunting madman. But when he heard her husband's voice on the other end, he promptly hung up. Then, for a time, the calls stopped. Vera breathed for what felt like the first time in years she could let go say goodbye to Dorothy in the proper ways, raise her grandson without the constant shadow of fear. Then, a few months later, she got a different kind of call. Bones, the authority on the other end of the line told her, they had found some bones. The police would appreciate it if she would come take a look at the items they found nearby. When she saw a turquoise ring and a thin wristwatch, she knew they were Dorothy's. She need not wait for a dental test. After four torturous years, they had found her daughter. Buried 13 miles from where she was last seen, her watch was stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29, 1980, only one hour after her car bizarrely sped away from UCI Medical Center. Her son's voice tore her out of the memory and cracked with fossilized grief. 
he thanked the mourners and stepped back into the silent pews. Vera's eyes were blurred, but she heard the sobs and the soft and awkward shuffle of footsteps as people made their way out of the church. She leaned on Jacob's arm and made her way toward the exit, squinting as the chamber doors opened into the sunlight, squinting more as the flashbulbs from the press cameras snapped photographs, asking how it feels now, asking what they think happened, asking what their lives would be like. She spared them a glance and then kept walking, even when Jacob stopped to answer something about continuing on, no longer living in the shadow of uncertainty. Vera stared blankly, thinking about the phone calls more. He called Dorothy first, before she disappeared. The voice told her daughter he loved her, that he knew what she was doing, who she was talking to, that he would kill her. The voice even left her a dead rose on the windshield. Vera had thought about this often, for a while feeling the guilt of not doing more. But what could she have done? What can one do about an unknown voice on the other end of the phone? It's not physical, it's not present. It's an existential threat, a promise of being watched. You can't describe what it is, what it looks like. You can't even describe how it sounds as it comes through the phone in that crackly and intentionally disguised way. It was just a voice, a voice that took her daughter away. Familiar, Vera remembered Dorothy saying. Familiar, but nothing she could ever place. They drove home in a silent car. Vera kept her eyes fixed out the window. Her eight-year-old grandson continued his stoicism. When they got home, they walked inside one by one. And when Vera shut the door behind them, she shut away years of anguish, years of wondering and hypotheticals and self-torture. Then... She turned to walk in the house, and the phone started to ring. Coming up, we'll reveal the very strange and disturbing details in the case of Dorothy Jane Scott. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now, back to the story. In early 1980, Dorothy Jane Scott was a 32-year-old single mother to a four-year-old son. By all accounts, she kept a quiet, if mundane, existence, spending the majority of her time at work or with her young son. Her colleagues described her as distant and removed, kind, if somewhat dull. She did her job, she treated everyone nicely, she took care of her son. Unfortunately, it was her kindness that would ultimately be her undoing. In 
sometime around early 1980, Dorothy started receiving anonymous, terrifying phone calls. The voice on the other end of the line was unstable by all accounts, swinging from violent threats to desperate proclamations of love. He told her about the details of her day-to-day life, accused her of adultery, told her he was watching, and grew irrationally angry if he caught her talking to other men. Dorothy swore she could recognize the voice, but could not quite place a finger on who it was. For whatever reason, Dorothy told her mother about the calls, but never reported them to police. Instead, she started taking karate classes and looked into buying a gun. But the calls only got worse. The unknown man on the other end of the line grew bolder and developed a taste for ominous symbolism and left a dead rose on Dorothy's windshield. Other times, he was not so indirect. On one call shortly before her disappearance, the voice told Dorothy, Now you're going to come my way, and when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. Then on May 27, 1980, Dorothy was at her work late for a staff meeting where she noticed that one of her co-workers, Conrad Bostron, had a severely swollen hand. Kind and dependable Dorothy insisted on taking Conrad to the hospital. A second co-worker, Pam Head, tagged along to lend her support. The three stopped at the hospital where doctors determined that Conrad had a black widow bite. At 11 p.m., he was discharged and given a prescription. Conrad and Pam waited in line at the hospital pharmacy while Dorothy left to get her car from the parking lot and pull it around to pick them up. When Conrad and Pam finished, they went to stand outside and wait. And wait. And wait. Then they saw Dorothy's 1973 Toyota station wagon approaching, But something seemed off immediately. The car's high beams were on, and it was driving uncomfortably fast for a hospital parking lot. The car approached Conrad and Pam, and then sped right by them, turning sharply out of the parking lot. Dorothy Jane Scott was never seen again. Dorothy's vehicle was found at 4.30 a.m. the next morning, burning in an alleyway 10 miles north of the UCI Medical Center. It wasn't long until the phone calls started again. After the Santa Ana Register published a story about the missing mother on June 12, 1980, an anonymous caller phoned the newspaper with a confession. The voice said, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. The man knew details about the case that were not published in the article, leading many to believe that this caller was not just pulling a sadistic prank. Then Dorothy's mother, Vera Scott, started to receive calls as well. The anonymous man taunted her with questions about Dorothy and confessions of his crimes. 
police tapped Vera's phone, but the man never stayed on long enough to trace his calls. And so the phone kept ringing. Every Wednesday for four years, until one day, Jacob Scott answered the phone instead of his wife. After that, the calls stopped for a few months. Until August 6, 1984, when a construction worker came across a collection of bones, bones that were later verified to belong to Dorothy Jane Scott. After the local paper published an article detailing the finding, the Scots received another phone call. The voice on the other end asked, Is Dorothy home? And then, finally, the calls stopped for good. On August 22, 1984, the Scots were finally able to grieve their lost daughter, knowing for sure she was dead. Jacob Scott said at the service, We've buried the grief. Now we're going to start living like people ought to. No suspects have ever been identified in the murder of Dorothy Jane Scott. To this day, the case remains unsolved. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. For more information on Dorothy Jane Scott, check out our episodes of Unsolved Murders on her disappearance. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Drew Cole. I'm Vanessa Richardson.